Pearly Queen Diane Gould follows in the rich tradition of pearly royalty. Born in North London into a family of costermongers, street market traders, her father Alf Dole was grandson of the very first pearly king of St Pancras, having put on his first suit as the pearly prince, aged seven. As Diane says, the costermongers worked hard and played hard, always ready for a sing-song and a knees-up in the local battle cruiser, Boozer. The costermongers were a resilient bunch with a stoic outlook on life. If you fall on hard times, well, you just pick yourself up and you get on with it. And boy, did they have hard times going back three and four generations. But they were often carefree, happy times too, playing out in the streets of London, spending long, hot summers hopping down in Kent. Underpinning much of what the Pearlies have always been about is charity. And today, Diane and her fellow Pearlies share their rich history through education programs, community projects, social engagement, and of course, shaking that tin and fundraising for wonderful causes, including the world-renowned Great Ormond Street Hospital and Ripple-Down Environmental Education Centre, giving kids from inner London a rare chance to engage with the natural world. The tradition of pearly kings and queens started in the 19th century Victorian London, and their raison d'etre of spreading goodwill and cockney spirit is as important today as it ever has been. In this episode, Pearly Queen Diane takes us back in time, recounting some of the wonderful stories from her inspiring heritage. And this is your London legacy. Now, a quick apology to our wonderful listeners. As you know, lockdown means that we can't meet all our guests face-to-face for the time being. And so we're recording remotely. Now, from time to time, technology doesn't perform as, as we would like it to. And unfortunately, the sound quality on Diane's recording is not great. However, it's just like life, full of imperfection. And as the Perlers would no doubt say, who cares? Just get on with it. And we will. I've got a special offer for you. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that at the end of each interview, we ask our guests to tell us one or two of their favourite places in London that is personal to them and perhaps not everybody knows about. Well, I've now compiled for you 60 of my guests' favourite places in London, and you can get this unique brochure 100% free. Alongside each guest recommendation is a brief quote explaining why they love the place, a lovely picture of it, plus links to the venue and the podcast episode itself so you can check it out in your own time. It's completely free, and all you have to do is go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com on the homepage and click on the red button where it says Guests, Favourite Places in London. Click here for your free copy. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did creating it for you. Keep listening. Best wishes and keep safe. Steve. So it, it gives me great pleasure to welcome welcome onto the podcast today uh, my l- latest guest, Pearly Queen, uh, Diane Gould, Pearly Queen of, where are you St. from? St Pancras. St Pancras, is that your full title, Pearly Queen the of St Pancras? Pearly Queen of St Pancras, yes. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, uh, your London legacy. Now, we did try and get together, didn't we, a few weeks back? Um, yeah, we certainly did. As with my previous guests and a whole load of other guests we've had to uh, shell them due to the wonderful COVID-19 London lockdown scenario which is proving to be a right pain in the the dairy air the Aristotle yeah yeah the, the Aristotle well, 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 this is what we're going to have to put up with folks during this wonderful <laughs> chat we're going to have because not only are we going to get history a history lesson going back many centuries but we're also going to get a bit of rhyming slang aren't we <laughs> yeah of course you are <laughs> proper, would it? it won't be proper 
<laughs> like when it all uh, yeah um so those those people who listen to your london legacy and there are many around the world i'm pleased to say know that we do the recordings in person because i like to meet my guests face to face eye to eye in their place of work your place of work could i don't it could be any number of places it could be a marketplace it could be in a, a show trial for horses it could be fundraising it could be any number of places couldn't it yeah yeah we do we do get around our spurlies <laughs> so i'm delighted to have a pearly pearly princess or pearly your queen what is the difference tell, tell us the difference that one, Steve, right? yeah, but what's the difference so the difference is right okay so when the old queen mary my dad's partner was alive she was the queen, and so I was the princess then. And that's probably, you know, what you saw, because there's still some pictures on the website of me being a princess. But when the dear old Queen Mary passed away, I became the queen. And this is what we do, just like the proper old royalty. Yes. Yeah. So, so it gets passed down. So then my sons, they'll be kings, and I've got princes and princesses. It's generational. Yeah, it's fantastic. So people who don't know or haven't seen or heard of Pearly Kings and Queens and Prince and Princesses need to understand the history and where it all started. Now, your is it your great grandfather was one was one of the first Pearly Kings princes. Prince he was a prince king or a prince? He was Pearly King. Pearly King. So tell us all about him and how he came to be one of the forefathers. Okay, so my great-granddad, George Dahl, he came over from Ireland in the late 1800s, and his real name was Doyle. But when they travelled over, sometimes they made a right old rick, a right old mess up, and so they dropped the Y. So his name should have been Doyle, but he just carried the name forward Dole. So then he married Emma, Emma Baker, and they lived on Cholton Street, which is just off the Euston Road, yeah? And uh, they had 17 saucepan lids, 17. Because I suppose in them days, they did that, well, the old one. Kids. Kids, saucepan lids. Saucepan yeah, lids, kids. We'll yeah. have to do a little bit of interpretation as we go along <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the uninitiated. Sure. So, so there he was. He, he had a, a, a shop in Charlton Street, and it was a fruit and veg shop. And also he sold uh, seafood. Um, he was a real character, a real personable character. And he had horses, horses. No age. Just stand on, on, on Charlton I don't Street. Think, I, don't, I don't think that one needs any interpretation. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So he had the old uh, pony called Tommy and he had Kitty the donkey. But anyway, so George, he was a real personable type of bloke. He, he was a bit of a Dell boy back in those times because apparently he sold old rags. He would, he would turn, he was a bit of an entrepreneur back in, back in the Victorian times. And, and so anyway, so there was George. And so he traded down Charlton Street there was a market then and the the markets were uh, were for the community so there was 28 markets in 28 boroughs in London okay and so from each from each uh, borough in London they elected a Costa King and a Costa Queen okay so the Costa King and Costa Queen they looked after market traders the Costa mongers Costa meaning apple an old English apple monger being seller uh, so it's a breakdown of what it means. So the cost of kings and queens, they, they, they looked after the interest of the market. And remember, there was 28 markets in 28 boroughs, as was in London at the time. So the local community used to shop and bowl their wares, be it you know, fruit and veg, be it they exposed material, they used to send their buttons, they used to send the old wares, all the old wares. And they traded, the costermongers traded independently. 
But basically, they used to look out for one another. So, so what, what they did, uh, they used to hold, the Costa King and Costa Queen used to hold uh, some money for all the other traders. So farthings were given, farthings or whatever they could afford to, in, in case family fell on hard times. So if one of the Costa families fell on hard times, they'd go to the Costa King and Queen and say, we need some bees and honey, money, you know, to help us through this tricky time. So basically, the Costa mongers, they traded independently. They're really saucy, really saucy. But that time, a bit of old banter, a bit like Del Boy, right? He got it from us. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> so the Costas took to, um, I'll get back to Henry Croft and my great-granddad soon, but yeah, it all yeah, yeah. weaves along. So the Costas took to, uh, sewing flashes of pearl buttons around their battered old waistcoats and they ran around the houses. The costermongers, they with their battered clothes, because they weren't well off or nothing, they just lived from day to day and done their best. They used to sew lines of pearl buttons down the side of their trousers. So they were called flash arries. So where the saying flash arry comes from. And and they there was a bit, you know, a bit cocky, a bit nice, you know, striped up and down and the women used to wear feathers in their in their battered old hats to mimic the uh, well-to-do of society, you know. So anyway, that, that was a costas. But before, before the street markets were, were emerged, like the 20 to the 28 boroughs, the poor people couldn't go in the shops. They weren't allowed in the shops in London, going way back. You know, it was really dirty and really awful. And, and, and so what they did, they used to make stuff and go around with little handcarts. And they was always moved along by the old bill, you know, because they didn't want these smelly old poor people sort of feeding each other, did they? <laughs> So, so from from the from the old barrows and at the death, they had to in the end they had to sort of organise these street markets because the people didn't have any the working class people like, didn't have any anywhere to buy their uh, food. So that's how the street markets emerged. And Costa Kings, Costa Queens oversaw the street market, made, made sure that all the Costas were looked after. And so the Londoners couldn't travel, so they had a big community. All the people around used to shop there, didn't they? Because they, d- they didn't travel much. They didn't have jam jars and stuff. They probably had a pony and cart or something, but no jam jars much. But tell us about the pearls, because the story of why they were pearls in the first place and how pearls were found, you t- well, you tell, you tell the story of how, p- how it became pearls. I gave uh, your lovely listeners uh, a bit of an over- oversight of, of how it became pearls, where the, the, the market costermongers, it started from the costermongers, market traders. So anyway, my great-granddad worked down Charlton Street at, at his little shop, and used to sort of look out for people as best he could and his family. So anyway, how it became Pearls, right? A, a family lived just around the corner in Phoenix Place. And, and it was Henry Cross's family, mum and dad. Well, en- Henry's family were really, really poor. So when he was a little baby, he was raised in the St Pancras workhouse. He was actually born there and he was raised there because they couldn't afford to, to look after him. So anyway, look, look, Henry Croft was raised in the St Pancras workhouse as it was then, till he was 13 years old, little, little boy, and he was kicked out. But in the St Pancras workhouse, he used, to, he used to learn how to sew clothes, buttons and stuff, repair stuff, and he used to catch rats and sweep up, and he was given all the menial tasks that they do. Anyway, 13 years old, he was booted out, and uh, he became a road sweeper and rat catcher for the old markets. Yeah. Oh, lovely job. So, anyway, he... he he knew the hard times, you know, as I say, being raised in the, in the workhouse there. And, um, and, and he admired the way the costers looked, at, looked out for one another. The old coster mongers and looked out for their, for their billy bunters. They, look, they looked out because it was, their, it was their bread and butter. 
And they all looked out for one another the best they could. And so old Henry, apparently, only listening to what my old granddad, great-granddad told me dad, and my dad told me, that uh, Henry loved the, the way of life that the old costermongers did, you know, family and, and community. Anyway, so as legend has it, because it's all, it sometimes gets walked down. But I know first down from my great-granddad and my granddad and my dad, luckily enough, Henry appeared one day in a top hat and a dress suit, absolutely smothered in pearl buttons, right? So there he was, and he had some sort of collecting tin or whatever he had in his hand, and he wanted to go out and, and help, help the poor people. He wasn't sure if the costumer was going to take offence and go, is he taking the proverbial or whatever, and give him a right hand. Well, they went, God blimey, Henry, I can imagine, right? <laughs> he looked bloody amazing. You know, he looked, he looked right pucker in his whistle and with a big top hat. It was a smother suit. So apparently it took Henry Croft a whole year to make this smother suit. That is, my, mine has got different designs on it, but the smother suit is absolutely covered in pearl buttons. Yeah. But what's the story about finding finding the box of pearls on uh, the Thames? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It might be an urban myth or an apocryphal story. But the reason I love that is because we've had um, a really wonderful guest on the show, uh, Jason Sandy, who's a mudlarker who goes finding things on the Thames. Goes finding things on the Thames. So this fitted in perfectly with that story. So tell us, tell us that story. So yeah, mudlarkers. Wow, yeah, they're very fascinating. Well, you can imagine. Well, your listeners can imagine that. London was oh, just an amazing place uh, back in the day when when the Thames was the lifeblood of all the markets, Covent Garden, Spitalfield, Smithfield, uh, Billingsgate. So all the ships from all over the world used to sail down the old Thames and all their cargo. You remember all the old the old uh, warehouses that were with the big cranes, as I sort of remember. And they had to pay a tax. So what I'm led to believe and what I've heard is that apparently – a boat from China had all these buttons because there would have been a lot of haberdashers then and people made clothes and stuff and, and they didn't want to pay the tax so they offloaded they shoved it over onto the old uh, into the old Thames and it ended up in well like mudlarking in the old uh, mud and Henry apparently came across this, this uh, box of pearl buttons and the rest is history so they say <laughs> well I would it's not it, it's not so mad as it sounds. I mean, the thing, the, the things that are being found today are just incredible. I know Jason Sandys is finding Roman beads. You know, all, all you know, he found one the other day. So to find a box of pearls, it's a great story, anyway, isn't it? Even if it's true, whether it's true well, well, it'd be pearl buttons, not pearls. Pearl, uh, pearl, pearl buttons. I mean, yeah, probably I a bit like my, my oyster shell ones because there's different grades of uh, pearls. But yeah, I, I can well imagine there's that, and then they someone else said that oh, he went round and picked them up. But he'd have to pick up a lot of buttons, wouldn't he? Yeah, would be an awful <laughs> be lot of fair. buttons. Yeah. yeah. Now I was going to say, but pearl buttons must still cost a few quid to uh, to put together. You know, you know, they they are a few quid. They're getting like hen's teeth, hard to find. But I, I do. Luckily, I found a lovely old warehouse in Ramsgate a few years back, and the bloke he, he cleared out haberdashery shops. So because I'm a pearly queen, he was old Eastender himself that owned it, and he went go around this. He said, pick yourself some stuff up, and I'll tie it up in the end. Well, luckily I got some, but. As I say, they're not they're very hard to come by, pearl buttons. So we digress. You talk about Henry Croft, he was a rat catcher. Yeah. Go on. Rose a rat catcher. Then he tur- he became the first pearly king. He was a he's the king of kings, basically. And he didn't have Summer's Town on his back. Some people say he did, some people say he don't. But looking at the history books, right, he was the Pearly King of London. He was the original Pearly King. So anyway, there he goes. And he must have been uh, mates with my, my great granddad. 
uh, George because they were on the same road. Anyway, there emerged 28 pearly kings for each market. So the first three pearly kings were Henry Croft, Bert Matthews, and George Dole, my great-granddad. So Bert Matthews, pearly king of Amsterdam, a really famous pearly king back in the day, and he, and he was a rotary for rat catcher too because there was a lot of rats around there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my great-granddad, uh, Bert and uh, Henry, we three kings, and then from, from them, the 28 boroughs elected from their Costa kings and queens, pearly king and queen. And the objective of pearly kings and queens and all the little children, uh, prince, princesses, uh, pearly prides and helpers, pearly minstrels that do music, they raise fun and funds. And it, initially it was for the old uh, London hospitals. Um, and they'd have sort of festivals and fairs and, and they'd go and sort of dress up. And, and basically it was like carnival time, but with the, old, the whole aim of, of raising funds for charity. So, what were the charities that are? What are the charities that you now specifically work for? Because I know Great Ormond Street was has been in the lifeblood of the family for many years. Well, well, as as Dad told me and and put in his book there that uh, my great granddad George, as say, was costermonger, and he used to he used to take his uh, little trolley or whatever he took, uh, and he used to go past Great Ormond Street, and he, he shot in there one day, so he became the first sort of charity collector forum and we still do great Ormond street when as and when i get out and about you know because it's did my dad raised thousands but it's not what we you know to me it's embarrassing to say we we raise money you know and sort of putting yourself sort of out there going oh yeah we made those because it's something to do with without speaking about it really i mean uh, when we put these buttons on it's about love it's about charity it's about connection and and people uh, and, and if we can raise it, raise a shilling, and some people haven't got any money, but they give their smiles and they give their love. Well, that is what I find most remarkable and heartwarming about. I mean, I've, I've, I've finished the book only last week called the. Oh, we'll give this a plug now. The Pearly Prince of St Pancras uh, was by your father, Alf Doll, and written in conjunction with Jeff Hudson. I, I don't know he's a ghostwriter or he is a ghostwriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your your father and his family before him were raised in, in, you can only call it in poverty, in deep poverty. It, it was just, you know, pathetic poverty and moving from home to home, from place to place, from London. And then, of course, all the problems and stresses of the war and being moved, you know, out of London. And yet, always in their hearts, even though they had nothing and, you know, were sleeping on the floor and, ten, you know, dozens of people in the same room, were always having the thought to raise money for other people who they perceived to be less fortunate themselves. And it's just a, a remarkable story that that why is that why did why is it people have that sort of heart of gold where does that come from how's that instilled in you Steve you know I mean if as I said if you ain't got nothing to give as Dad said uh, as you're speaking it gets me quite emotional because yeah, I can see as yeah. um, as I was raised it was always you didn't have, I mean a tin bath in front of the old coal fire and and the holidays were always up picking down in Kent. You know. I love that story. You must come back and elaborate. I, I, I will just, do because I, I got yeah. my beer around there because I make beer now. <laughs> you know, telling stories. Anyway, yeah. So, so, so the heart and soul of it is is like we used to live down the street, and I'm sure some of the listeners, I'm sure some of them can can understand and appreciate. Some of them probably, you know, their history is the same. But it's about connection. It don't matter if you've got two bob or, or two million pounds. It don't matter. It's what's inside your jam tart. And, it, and it's that empathy and that compassion. But I, honestly, 
you know, there, there's there's quite a few pearlies out there, and you, and and the thing is, you can't make a pearly. You, uh, you, it's like you, there's certain things. It has to come from the inside out. It has to be sort of I, I don't know, being raised, being raised with that ethos. I don't know, you know, and that tradition, and and so that's why I'm I'm really passionate about not letting it be watered down because it's it's about us as people connected up. Be it through beer, be it through food, be it just a listening ear. Sometimes people just need a good listening to, you know. More today, possibly, than ever before, frankly. Well, you, you asked me, so, Steve, so I was raised mainly on the street markets, Chapel Market, East Lane Market, always Costa Mongers. Me, 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 Uncle Alfie was the Banana King. They called them kings if they were good at saying. He was a banana king down Chapel Market. And me, me Uncle Tommy had fruit and veg. So as a saucepan lived like me, I watched. So I was raised on the street market, so I watched them interact, right? They'd watch the people. They'd watch the people come by, and it was a show. And then when they got Billy Bunk come around, two pound of salad tomatoes or, or a, pan of, a pan of copses or whatever, they'd listen to the person. They'd be serving the person. The person could be telling them, a good story or a sad story. But they listened and they listened with, with love, with empathy. Because the thing was, if you didn't, people thought you didn't care. They won't come back if they think you don't care, innit? So a lot of what how I was raised was watching that. Listening is an art. I was once told that you have two of these and one of these. So <laughs> t- t- two ears in my mouth and you should use them in equal proportion or the right proportion. And it, it's... it's <laughs> It's very true, though, isn't it? But there's there's ways to listen, as you say, listening with empathy, listening to first understand before you put your point across. And if that's what Pearly Kings did, no wonder they had people coming around to to hear their stories. So, what what sort of stories did Pearly Kings? Because they they were known for entertaining, whether it was singing, play, playing the spoons. What sort of stories did they <laughs> did they did they well, tell? Well, you know, I mean, uh, Lord Lord Lonsdale, Lord Lonsdale was a great supporter of Pearly Kings and Queens. And there was a couple of really curious stories. I don't know if you know about them, but one in particular, uh, this Pearly King was accused, and his dear old wife, there was an elderly couple apparently, because I wasn't there at the time, not that old. Anyway, they was accused of ill-treating their donkey, their Jerusalem pony, because that's what donkeys were called then, Jerusalem ponies. don't know why. (laughs) Um, No, they they were looked after. So so this elderly couple were accused of uh, ill-treating their Jerusalem pony. It's the last thing they'd do. And, and they got taken to court or something. They, you know, they, there was a big outcry. Lord Lonsdale come in, you know, because he must have heard about it because he loved the pearlies. He really supported the pearly kings and queens. And um, he come in and he sort of championed them, apparently. And he bought them a new donkey and cart because what happened was their dear old Jerusalem pony was sick and tired. So, so that was one little story. Uh, but this, oh, gosh, I don't know where to start, really. I, I know that um, they've... They, Pearly kings and queens have travelled the world. It's just like the stories of when when they went down during the during the Blitz in London. Was it your father who went down or got taken down into the underground? And it was the first time he'd actually seen people sort of bedding down there and keeping, you know. And then was it his father or his grandfather who started telling tales, or they all came round and started gathering oh, that's around it. him? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, well th- this is the thing. I mean, because people love, we, we're connected through story, aren't we? We're connected through story and. And, and we're all connected in, in many different ways, but story and song are the main themes, aren't they? So uh, we, we always we could always uh, tell a story and, and also sing some songs, 
So what's, what sort of songs? Are these the old traditionals? The old traditionals, and, and I've got one for you here. Right? Go on, off you I'll go. just give you a blast. <laughs> we had to move away because the rent we couldn't pay. Blow the van. Hand on. Dilly dally on the on way. The way. Come on, Steve. <laughs> oh, off I went the van with me own packed in it. It won't be iron <laughs> with me old cockle in it. Lost the van and don't know where to roam. Oh, well, you can't trust the specials like the old-time coppers when you can't find your, find your way. way home. Well done. That's, so songs like that, and um, it was, uh, well, I, I don't know. We, we always, so mainly around the battle cruisers. Battle cruisers. Boozers. That's it. Boozers, pubs. Pubs, battle cruisers. We used to knock around around them because the thing was that's where all community used to gravitate to, especially weekends. You know, the old gyro would come out and they'd bang out a tune. You know, they would all sing badly. You know, the kids would be outside with an arrowroot biscuit and a Coke if they were lucky. What's an arrowroot biscuit? I must say, I've oh, never... I've never... Oh, no. No, sorry, all right, Steve. So what it was, <laughs> it was like a massive biscuit. It must have been about, I don't know, you see that size what size would it be like about it that's big. a that's a very big a, orange it was a big biscuit right and they yeah. and they were a bit like a thick rich tea i suppose right right God, what a treat that was such a treat well they're good for dunking <laughs> could you dunk them or they so just... no, we never had tea we were saucepanless <laughs> we, we were outside with if we were lucky a coke or a lemonade uh-huh, oh there's uh-huh. all having the knees up you know right got you <laughs> Let's take a very quick break just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. So tell us a bit about the uh, the book, the the Pearly Prince of St Pancras, how this came about, because this is your father's story, isn't it? But it's your father's story, which takes you right back to the beginning of the Pearly King. So unfortunately, as you say, he passed away before he actually got to read the book. Yeah. So how, how did it come about? Because it, it is a, a marvellous story. It is so touching and sentimental. It, it really plays, it really does, it plays, on, but in a beautiful way, it plays on the heartstrings. I just love the history you know, you know, the family's tales as well. You know, how he had so many children, how the family got split up during the war. Oh, God, the yeah. kids went in different directions. How about Marjorie? How about Marjorie? Uh, how about Marjorie going off on the train? To, was it to Wales and she wasn't seen again? Yep. For, they for used to sometimes keep them. They used to sometimes keep them and the child didn't want to come back. So this is your dad and his siblings who were sent away during the war to what was perceived to be a safer place from, from London out to, to Wales. And they all went off on the train. And how old was he? He was oh, young, young was boy. Was he so, yeah. About he was a young boy, but, but he was the eldest, wasn't he, I think? And yeah, he was, he was told the to, eldest. Look after them all. Told by his mum to look after them all. I mean, what, what, I mean, what a responsibility, <laughs> seriously. And then, and then as they get nearer and nearer to their different stops, they're, they're taken off, not yep. together, but no. at different stops. Until, yeah. It's just, he must He's have been mad. scared out of his living daylights. He must wow. have been terrifying. It, it just shows you, Steve, don't it, the resilience. And, uh, you know, today, where, where I live now, I'm blessed to be able to live in the course for you. I've also got the Britain at War collection, which used to be in Tooley Street. It was a museum. And I used to help them out. Me and Dad used to do some sing-alongs. And the whole of Tooley Street that we developed for London Bridge Station, as you know, and it used to be under the arches. Well. We were blessed to be 
guardians of this Britain Oil collection because it was just going to get steamrolled over. So the thing that that's precious to me in in the barn where I live, I've got I've got a little collection, uh, some of the collection out because it shows about the evacuation. It shows about the dig for victory. It shows about how resilient people were in that time, and so in in a in a, in a beautiful way how how we need all of that type of thing now through these times, even though it's not, it, it is like a war, a different type of war, but it's where people come together now and, and, and to be able to reconnect and, and realise trying to go through this fear and this anxiety, just like you said with Dad and his, his, his brothers and sisters. And it's, so, so this is what I do is, is in different ways, as, as a pearly, being able to tell some stories about how we used to live, but also bringing up to present time how we're still connected and, and how that love is so important and that connection through a simple thing, probably a simple thing. Sorry, I'm going. <laughs> no, no, not, a, not at all. I mean, it just, it's just making me think because obviously the, 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 the lockdown everywhere has been has been horrible for a lot of people and people say well there was the war and that was terrible you know and this you know obviously having bombs dropped in you can't be a nice experience being locked up isn't nice but when we go out for our daily sort of constitutional and you, you see you see mums and dads with their children and spending valuable real time you know with, with kids which they maybe haven't done before so at least there is some benefit and you know, having grown up on the streets, you say being dustbin lids, out in the streets playing, and you know your mum says, "Don't, don't stray too far." And you think, "Yeah, bugger that! I'll come back. I'll come back when I'm ready." But it's having that freedom, and yet knowing you've got the love and support there from your parents at all, at all times. And I think there is a little bit of that coming through today in in what we're seeing with the lockdown. What I, do you I, think? Absolutely, no, absolutely, Stephen. Well, fingers crossed that. Well, I'm sensing. I'm sensing just. Because I live on a fishery now, of course, fishery, I've lived there 20 years. I do get up to London. I still do local charitable stuff. But circumstances that I live here now. And people are just craving to get out, craving to get out to the outdoors, to nature, which to me, as a kid, up and down in Kent, because it was always up and down in Kent every year, and Dad used to take us on weekends down Kent. And I could tell us, uh, tell us about this hopping because this, 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 this is wonderful. I love the hopping stories. And before we, before we dig into the, actually what, what hopping is and the experience, I love the story. I think it was your dad being rolled up in a rug <laughs> and, uh, and, and placed in the luggage compartment on the train because they couldn't afford, it was to save a few, <laughs> yeah. a few bob, wasn't it? In the Does train it? fare to, to get down to Kent. <laughs> I just think that is just a, a remarkable story. Roll him up in the old rug. Up he goes in the, uh, he says those big old, um, what were they called? The, what, uh, the luggage racks. The luggage racks, yeah. yeah over, overhead there. luggage racks. Yeah. And he, and he used to keep stewing while he's out there the whole time. And he's like, so really? That's a, yeah, and that's he doesn't good. say, that's just a crazy story. I know. I know. But with, with Dad's book, I mean, Dad, over the years, uh, yeah, he used to come out with all these stories, like liking the book and, and more, you know. But he used to come out with these stories and he'd say to me, die, die, I've got to put these down. In writing, I was also got my little recorder, just talking to it, but it never sort of he wrote some stuff down, Steve. It never come together like that. So curiously, through the website that I've got, a lady phoned up in early 2013 from uh, a publishing agency, a literary agency in just off Tottenham Court Road, and she said, "I'd like to write a book about, or you know, write a book about your dad's life, about Pearlie's blah blah blah." So I went, "Here, Dad." 
Come on, so we, we got in his pearly cab. You seen? I'll send you some pictures. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, so we'll put those out. We, yeah. we got in his pearly cab. Oh, we shot up there. He had his pearly suit on, and he was very, very sick at that time. He was banging out. He said, "Yeah, this is so important. You need to get the stories down in case they're lost." You know. Anyway, so, so we shot up there off Tottenham Court Road, and he spent about four hours talking to Jeff, Jeff Hudson, the, the ghostwriter, and because Jeff could put stuff together, so. I spilled out all, all these all these stories. And then thereafter, Jeff used to go and visit him or, or, or talk to him on the phone. So there's more books at that. So that, that was just a small chapter of what Jeff got. And then Dad passed away. But he knew the book was in the pipeline. And so he would have been he'd have been. He would be very proud. It's lovely. So is there he is wrapped up in his uh, in, in his father <laughs> in his father's rug, which you took which was taken down to Kent of course, in, yeah. to, to do hopping in the summer, which yeah. is a, a tradition that you continue to do, I think, as a as a child and yeah. So tell us what is, what is hopping and what, oh, what is the history and story goodness. behind it? And what's oh, the, the experience goodness. that you used to have doing it? Because it sounds magnificent. I <laughs> oh, wish I was yeah. young again. You know what, Steve? <laughs> I'll tell you what, every sourceman lived and people should should have had the opportunity to experience hopping in Kent, right? Uh, so a lot of the Romanized used to uh, go hop picking and also fruit picking seasonal because they travel around. But the old Londoners had to get out the um, old oak smoke. So Every season, mum used to get a letter from the doctor, take the saucepan into that school, right? Off we go down, hopping. Here we go down, hopping, hopping down in Kent. Song about that. But, um, and so they'd either go on an old charabang, which is an open back truck, if you're lucky enough, or an awesome cart like George had with Tommy, dear old Tommy, you know, up, west, uh, up the hill, fell down dead. Too much. Anyway, they used to, oh, get on the train, get on the train. So the families used to go in, in big groups, but it was mostly the women and the children because the blokes usually had a job to do, you know. But some of them did, but a lot of them did. So the women and children used to go, right? And me mum and dad met down up in Dunningham, right? So, uh, and they used to get on the common and the farmer would go into the old tin huts as they were, or asbestos huts, I should think, as well, Ed. Yeah, for nice and healthy. Nice and healthy, right? <laughs> yeah. Healthy. And, and he'd kick the sheep out, right, throw a bale of uh, straw in, and that'd be their, their thing. So mum mum told me that they took like a cover called a tick and they used to ram it full of the straw. We'd all sleep on it, right? Bloody marvellous. Oh, my goodness. You couldn't make it up, right? So then the old ones would go out. We'd have a faggot fire, faggots, like bundles of wood, right? stuffed together. And you'd go and collect them and you'd make a fire, sort of putting them all up together. They're called faggot fires. And the old pot of stew, church pew, right? I'd be stuck in a bucket over the top, a big old pot, right? And they used to use it for all sorts. <laughs> I won't tell you what my aunt is used to doing it. <laughs> I will tell you, right? No, go on, tell they, us. They used to wash their old drawers in it, too. <laughs> oh, charming. Is that before or after dinner? <laughs> it didn't matter. No, Quite at the same time. <laughs> but this old, this old, no, this old uh, pot. So anyway, so you'd have a big open fire. The women would go out into the upfields, the boat blokes would be pole pullers, or my dad drove the tractor or the horse and cart as was then. He, he used to drive uh, drive the horse and things when he was down there. There was plenty of jobs to be had down there. And and you had that bushel basket and you had the op bins. And so the ladies would sit and the kids, right? Because oh they made us kids work. We tried not to, right? We used to we used to escape, go swimming. We we used to go it was so dangerous. <laughs> Because we could go swim in the rivers, climb all these. They didn't know where we were, did they? We was like, like sort of like wild kids because we were used to the old oak up in London, weren't we? 
We weren't used to all this world free space. We go playing. Cool from Bennett. Anyway, so. <laughs> so we, how many of you were there packed into these huts? Oh, my goodness. Well, well all, all the kids are sleeping in one bed. Now, there could be half a dozen kids, right? It was bloody hilarious because you won't get sick because they'd all be telling you ghost stories or, or stuff. You know, and, and so at night time, the old ones would sit around the old faggot fire after they'd done their days off. So it was hard graft. You know, it weren't easy because the more pops you pit, right, the little tally man used to come around and, and pour, pour out, put his bushel basket in, weigh up the ops, and you had more bees than honey then. So they'd pick all day long to get, you know, to get the old bees and honey, get the ops in. Come on, kids. You heard about the brolly. Pick a, pick a brolly full of ops and you, you can buzz off uh, climbing trees or fishing or whatever else your kids want to do, you know. So over night time, right, it was it just come alive at night time. Because then all some of the blokes had come down from London the weekend, they bring some food down. Used to have uh, used to have uh, like lorries and stuff come on the weekend selling bread. It, it was marvellous. It was like a real community again. Then us kids would be all larking about, you can imagine all the different families you get to meet all around the Oppen field, the common as they called it. And so we'd all be larking about, but the old ones you could hear them outside, all singing old songs, all getting Brahms, Brahms and Lisbeth, the older pigs here, you know, because they get a big jug from the from the pub, from the old battle cruiser. Oh. <laughs> big jug of beer. <laughs> and, but then me cousin, because they took a piano down with them. You've got to take the old jo- Joanna, haven't you? How do you get a piano down? Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, there's range, or just on the back of a, of a truck or something, you know. Where did you place the piano? You couldn't get that in the hut. Outside the hut. You'd have a little cover. I, I, I remember say- me co- cousin Nicky was a good old player. <laughs> so good for you, right? We we were lucky to be able to hear about all the stories that they said. They, you weren't sort of well, I wasn't consciously aware of it, but all these things sort of melded into to our, what what we were to become. Really, it's all that connection. And this again, Steve, right? This is what we've got to offer here, where I live, is is a reconnection to nature. We've got a wonderful space that we want to share for people. I eh? not just farm. And I'm not, it ain't about me, it's not. Why not share stuff that we can to to enrich other people's lives that don't get the opportunity? Because that's all I knew, that's how I was raised. He, you never, Dad, Dad sang me a song, right? It's in the book. He used to ring me up randomly. Hello, Di. Look, I just made a song up here now and put the phone down. Sing this song. <laughs> this was the words to it. If I got time, a very quick little song it went. I won't, I won't try and sing it. He, he, had a, he had a great voice, the old man. But he goes, you've got to live and let live if you want to get by. It's only a matter of time if you live or if you die. What difference does it make if you're rich or if you're broke? In an hundred years from now, it'll all be a joke. So don't kick a man when he's down. Give him a real and shake. If you're not rewarded then, what difference does it make? You've got to learn how to live. If you want to get by, so I say live and let live. And, and he just, and, and he got really sick. And I couldn't remember the words, Steve. And I've got him recorded. He was, he was rushed into hospital. He was wrapped in this tin thing, this tin thing, because he was really ill. I went, Dad, Dad. First, I said, I can't remember that song. Sing it. And he did. <laughs> That's how I remember it. Anyway. That's one. It's, it's wonderful. It's it's one of the me- the memories are are remarkable and and to share that family time, which has been passed down literally from generation to generation, outdoors. I mean, you're 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 Londoners through and through, 
Uh, are you Cockneys? You're not Cockneys. You know Cockneys. Really... Cockney. Uh, I know there's a definition was... of a Cockney, oh, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, it's a derogatory term for a deformed chicken's head. Cockney. That's what the. That's what the rich. <laughs> yeah, really. It's a deformed chicken's head. It, it, it's a. It's a. It's a slang. It's a derogatory term to the older Londoners. You know. Yeah. Sort of. So they say an East the Cockney is East End. So the point I'm making is you, you're rather than Cockneys, you're you're Londoners through and through, but. The memories and the pleasure you got from being out of the, the smoke, as you say, down in rural Kent and having fun, your memories of those times. And it's the same for everybody, getting out into nature, getting out into to forests and parks and going for walks and spending time as kids is just just tremendous. And are, so you are you doing stuff, sort of charitable stuff, where you're encouraging children yes. out into nature, into the wilderness? Yes. So so husband Alistair, who was, I was so fortunate to, to meet 12 years ago, um, his his grandfather started off the the Bay Trust, the Bay Trust, which was like over nearly fifty years ago. He was an entrepreneur in in, in, in London. His old London boy, and he started you know started a nice firm up, redeveloping lovely old buildings, and they called him Flowering Fred of the City. Fred Cleary, his name was because all the old bomb sites, he put them back to nature for for the visitors and for the and it, they're still there a lot. Of them. Anyway, cut long story short, the, the Bay Trust does the environmental work. It's carried on since Fred. Fred. Fred left a legacy, Ripple Down House, which was an old rectory building that Fred bought. For, and you couldn't make this up, Steve, I tell you. You could not make this up right. So I've gone into Ripple Down after me now. It's a beautiful old building in quite an idyll, and it houses 70 children and teachers for uh, an immersive environmental holiday four days, four, so four nights and five days, which it's been going for like 40 odd years. You never guess what, right? So I've walked in there, Fred left this room, and also the Pines Guard and the Pines Cave, Dennis and Margaret's Bay, all of this for the environment and for environmental education, for the legacy. So then I've walked into Ripplebell with Al. I've looked on the wall, there's a picture on the wall of, of some people. I thought, I know that bloke in the middle. It was only my old teacher, Chas Matthews, right? He was my, down the old Kent Road we lived for a while. I used to go to Woolworth School, and he was head of geography. And then my school, Woolworth, was one of the first schools that used to go with Thomas Tallis to Ripple Down, can't make that, as, a, as, an, as an environmental thingy. <laughs> How bizarre. bizarre. Really weird. Yeah. So what we're doing at Furnace Brook, where I live now, it's a, it's a beautiful lake with, with land around it. And, and it's creating, uh, it's for the environment, it, it's, it's for peace and tranquility, it's for reconnection to nature. We, we, we do, we, we host and facilitate, but that's a big word. I only learned that from It's a good word, isn't it? What, yeah, for a pearly. That's very what, impressive. It's because I'm learning, because my, my owl, right, he, he could be a pearly king, and he does, he does put his suit on something, but he don't talk proper. He, he don't talk. Like what you do. <laughs> he, he, he don't drop his H's enough. But so, so what we're doing here, so I, I've had some lovely groups in local, one called, called one, A Young Heart, which Rachel started, lovely lady called Rachel, and it's, it's, it's engaging with the elders, people of a certain age, either they can have dementia, Alzheimer's, or, they, they, or just be lonely. And then she brings together school children to, to, to come together on, di- on different days of the week, she supplies food and drink, and the children uh, have do stories to the to the adults, and they show them crafts. So we have them around here sometimes, and I do a lot of stuff with them. Yeah, there's all sorts we get up to, really. I, 
it's just local community stuff. I, I belong to a few ladies' groups. Um, I'm on the committee of the Odd Fellows. Have you, do you know the Odd Fellows? I don't. Tell, tell us more. The Odd Fellows have been going for hundreds of years, a couple of hundred years, and it's a friendly society, and they've got places all over the world, and, and they actually uh, have meetings and look after people of all age groups, but it's, it's like a coming together and community stuff. And also, if, if a person needs some assistance with, if, if they're a member of the Odd Fellows, not plugging them, but they're, they're just amazing what they do. So if a person in the Odd Fellows needs uh, legal help or dental help, they, they can't, they can go to the Odd Fellows and the Odd Fellows sort things out for them. Um, anyway. Sounds fantastic. So tell us all, a little bit about your star turns. You've been on stage with Madness. You've been on stage with Chaz and Dave. I see your pictures with Paul Weller. I mean, you get around a bit. And <laughs> Boris Johnson, your father. Yeah, you, oh, you get no, around. Oh, no, no joke. <laughs> uh, probably not flavour of the month right now, I but know. hey. <laughs> but we used to we used to think uh, we we take people as we find them, and whether they whether they got sides to them, we, we don't want to know. But you know, if they turn turn out like lemons, we have to give them a wide berth. But when Boris really wanted to sort of be around us, it was more for the St George's Day in Leadenhall. And he used to arrive on the old group masters when he was mayor of London. And he used to sort of want to be around us. And, 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 sort of like, and, and it was all for, for, his, for his own thing, when it, the, the, the poor people were working. But then um, on Mock the Week, I don't know if you've you seen the Mock the Week thing. I, I, yes, I do. Did you see yeah. it? So Dave, yeah. Dave, Dave and Boris. So, so when, when Dave fought Boris and, Boris and Dave, Dave Cameron were his China plates. Because he'd met him and he borrowed da- uh, David Tenner. But they weren't. He was like, <laughs> you couldn't make it up. Because, as I say, we, we take people on face value. You know, what else? That madness. Right, okay. So, sucks Camden boys, isn't they? Camden boys from through. So, we make Jimmy, he's their, he's their tour manager. So, we, we've done stuff with madness for years. Because usually when we go, okay, we get on stage. But the main the main reason that I like to go with certain certain say celebrities whatever is because they can show they, a lot of them raise charity charity and that, that's the main focus for us but also it, it showcases that pearlis is still alive and kicking right so i give out leaflets and people are interested in stories and and it, it just keeps us in, in a nice way in the radar if you if you know what i mean so paul weller yeah he was at clapham last year i, I met so many so many people so Chaz and dave dear old Chaz was alive i've known him for years and years they're my Penny Kings of Rock and Rockney. Penny Kings of Rockney, yeah. Because yeah. they're Rockney Kings. Dear old Chess passed away a year and a half ago, bless him. And they, their family, Newton Green, they used to go up picking in Kent. Old Chess, yeah. They love the old Ockham. And so we had a lot in common. And I'm still in touch with his, with, his, with Joe and his wife, his widow, and his daughter, who's a talented musician. Oh my God. God Kate Garner, she, she's amazing. So we do things together still occasionally. They were they 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 were they still are big uh, huge Tottenham Hotspur fans. And, uh, like yeah. like me. Oh, so I've, so I've, I've I've seen them down the lane. I've seen them perform. You know, <laughs> on the way to Wembley. On oh, their way to oh yeah, because they done a few uh, songs. <laughs> they did, songs. Uh, yeah, and a whole album with Chaz and Dave on the Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, yeah so fantastic. Through, <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> you can't see behind me. You can probably see on the. Uh, of course, I can. See I see some, the old footballs. So the old Spurs so, signed footballs. Yeah. So earlier, well, another thing that um, I've done, as you might have seen, I haven't actually put it out, I only put it up the other day, uh, the Willow Foundation, Bob, Bob Wilson. 
What a marvellous charity that is as well. So we was at the Savoy, if you don't mind, you know, last year. We we was obnobbing with (laughs) posh people, like. (laughs) You know, but it was great because there were some great people there and and they were very, very generous, very generous because they can afford to be, but a lot of it comes from a good art, you know, really generous for the charity. And so is it, and the London Football Awards, you'd love that, Steve. This year at the Roundhouse, uh, just for the uh, shutdown, we was at London Footballs for the Willow Foundation again, so Bob's charity. So they, they actually, the Willow Foundation, they, they have away days for seriously sick young people, well, people sort of between the ages, I think, 16 to in their 40s. So I've offered up, I said, you know, to come with some fishing, some outdoor, outdoor stuff or whatever they want to do if they just want to sit and, and relax, it's joining the dots, isn't it? Mm, lovely wonderful <laughs> fantastic so I don't, I don't want to take up much more of your time you've been a fantastic <laughs> fantastic guest and i'm going to take some photographs of you or a screenshot of you with your wonderful just to, just just explain the outfit you've got on okay me whistle. because you because it's not just the suit your whistle but it's also your hat as well with all the feathers and well, what are those feathers so so what is there uh male ostrich wing feathers and, and I'll only have quality because if you're going to do something and, and represent something, you've got to have the best that you can get. So these, these, each of these feathers there were 25 quid. So uh, but the, the only reason I say that is because of quality. They're really hard to get. So if anyone knows where I can get some real quality ostrich wing feathers, I'd be really grateful. But so, so traditionally, it's you, if you see the old, the old ponies, their hats were magnificent. They, they were, because they had more resources and they had more feathers they could get, couldn't they? They had more hats made. So these are ostrich wing feathers, male ostrich wing feathers. Obviously, the pearl buttons speak for themselves. So do you make the suit yourself or do you get someone specially to... Oh, no. Oh, God. That'd be a travesty. So my dad, traditionally, the kings make the suits, right? But, you know, my dad, I've got a collection of polo suits in there to die for. They're amazing. But my dad made. And they're, they're all just like, uh, at some point, I'm putting on a show or something... So each suit is individual to the wearer. So families can have the same sort of symbols or signs on their suit. It represents, each suit and symbol represents what holds near to the pearly or the family. So on my suit, you've got the ups and downs in life and all your friends in between. I'll just stand up and show you. So on my stir, I've got fish because I live in a coarse fishery. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And going lower, I've got horseshoe for luck or love. I've got hearts. And, and so there's various... Emblems. So when your when your listeners go on there, you, you can get an idea of, of of what each different emblem sort of stands for. You can see hearts, and then on my sleeve there you've got the circle of life. So that would be your friends, that would be your family, and that would be you. It's all symbolic, and you've got faith, hope, and charity down the side because that's, that's how we roll, babe. <laughs> and a, and of course, I think I can see a blue Peter badge as well. Oh, in you, there know, somewhere. you know, I wear this whistle, and wherever I go, blue Peter badge. Blue Peter. So. <laughs> Before we go up, I've got something really interesting. So Friday, I've got to go up to London, and I've, I've donated a pearly suit to a special bloke who, who's very philanthropic. That's the word, isn't it? He donates so, money. Try and get your tongue around that but, one. But you don't, you don't hear about it. But he, he contacted me quite a few months ago, six months ago. Anyway, I'm from St Pancras, and I really would love a pearly suit for my museum. And I thought I get some really odd requests, you know. And anyway, so I found out it was um, it was Pimlico plumber Charlie Mullins. Oh, right. Yeah. He's the right diamond geezer. So, so then I said, all right, Charlie. I said, as it wants to be, what, it, what he's doing is a small museum and he's headquarters. 
right? And he comes from St Pancras. Not a lot of people know that. And he's, you know, he was brought up around there, and then he moved down to the Rockham Estate down the Old Kent Road, or just around the Elephant. And uh, so I said, okay, Charlie. I said, look, okay, if you don't mind, I don't mind donating one, which I've got one. I've got it sitting right on my right there, just been dollying up a bit because buttons fall off, don't they? I said, if you don't mind, Charlie, just make a donation to, to a charity, you know. And anyway, so he was very generous, and he made a donation. So Friday, I'm going to go up there. We're going, to, we're going to do a nice bit of, it'll be a nice bit of PR for the Pearlies, for what Charlie does, because he, as I say, he's a very generous soul, but, you know, from what I've read and, and what he sounds like. Yeah, so that's that's the sort of japes I get up to. <laughs> Lovely. The stories are amazing. The history is, is, is brilliant. I'm going to give another plug to the book, The Pearly Prince of St Pancras by your dad, Alf Dole, uh, and Jeff Hudson, who helped him write it before he passed on. It's a wonderful book, full of stories and anecdotes and wonderful pictures, the old black and white ones. There's some great stories like him him going down, hopping in the rolled up in the rug and during the war. Oh, you like that one, and, didn't uh, you? Yeah, I, I, I think it's all wonderful. A lot of it actually t- tickled me really, really brilliantly. <laughs> So how can people, if they want to connect with you, how can they find out more about what you do? Where can they contact you, connect with you? Okay, I'd, I'd love to share, you know, I'd love to some, some feedback from people. I'm always open to, to their stories or, or, or to connect up with them in different ways. W, all the W's dot Pearlies, P-E-A-R-L-I-E-S dot all dot UK. So it's just www.pearlies.org.uk. I've write it out like that. Yeah, just pearly. So uh, then they find my website. There's a contact form where I think there's a phone number. I can't remember. <laughs> I yeah, do update I think- occasionally. It's all on there, and I think even if they just type you, type, type your name in Diane Gould Pearlies, I think they they'll they'll find you as well. They'll find me. You're, you're quite you're well you're quite well <laughs> quite well catered for, shall we say, on the internet? So that's fine. Jolly <laughs> good. <laughs> I can't help it, and it? it's just like you've got spread some fun and laughter. No, absolutely. And just finally, before we wrap up completely, I always ask my guests before we wrap up to mention one or two places in London that are particularly personal or, or relevance or significance to them. And it don't, not, nothing it doesn't have to be anywhere famous particularly, but something that is personal and means something to you in London. Can you think of or recommend anywhere in particular? It can be a walk, a pub, a restaurant, something something special. Yeah, well, well as was. I mean, I know things have changed. But, oh, I've got two things, actually. There's the street market, uh, Chapel Market. Well, they, you know what the old used to call it? Chapel Street Market. And people have called me, called me to It's Chapel Market. Chapel Street. Who cares? Chapel Market, because that's where I learned all I know. Uh, the Hopfields of Kent are no longer. There's a few Hopfields. I mean, that's in, that's in Kent or Sussex. So, so to me, the street markets in London, where where's life and soul, and also the old pie mash shops. Oh, you can't whack it, can you? Do you like pie mesh, Steve? I'm not a fan. I'll be honest uh, with you. A lot of people, a lot of people ain't. I know. <laughs> not a fan. It doesn't do it. For, it doesn't do it for me. <laughs> oh God! We used to, we used to get turn six when Mum went shopping. There's turn six. Everyone's pie mesh shop for your dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's something about the consistency that doesn't quite do Is it, it for really? me. <laughs> you know, I could tell you some stories about that. But they used to make the uh, the liquor out of the ill ill juice. Yeah. I don't think they do it anymore. Ill pie, ill pie island, poor people. But anyway, so I suppose the street markets in London, Chapel Market in particular, and also the old pie mess shops, lovely jubbly. 
Perfect. Well, on that note, we're going to love you and leave you. And thank you very much for your stories, your humour, your song. Uh, <laughs> and keep up the really good, valuable work that you're doing, all the charitable work you're doing, because that's absolutely brilliant. Thanks, Steve. It's, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. We've had a few mic problems, I think, as we've gone along. But, um, <laughs> it's my buttons. Uh, it's your buttons. It's your buttons it? <laughs> We're pressing all the wrong buttons, all the pearlies. <laughs> I've done that before. But it's, it's been a real, a real pleasure to, to chat with you, Steve. And I really thank you for being in touch because the more people know that they're really cared about and, and to just, you know, know that connection and it'll never go away. And bless them all through these times, they can go through it. Come on. <laughs> Come on, indeed. And it's Steve. I absolutely love creating your London legacy for you and the feedback and testimonials are awesome. But as it grows, so it consumes more and more resources. So I've joined forces with Patreon, a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as $2 a month as a silver Londoner, right up to $300 per month where you get the crown jewels. Each level of subscription opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows, and sponsorship opportunities only available via, via Patreon. I do hope you'll continue to support what we're doing here, and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. So please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. That's www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy.